Welcome to The Interop. My guest today is Fig. He's a co-founder at Squid. They're a liquidity and message passing router built on Axlar. In today's conversation, we'll discuss how developers can leverage Squid and their apps to facilitate cross-chain swaps. We'll also talk about user experience and how Squid is making UX better in crypto. We'll also talk about how it compares to other interoperability solutions. We'll get into Axlar, which of course Squid uses as a message passing layer. We talk about native USDC on Cosmos and the launch of DYDX and the future of interoperability. I'm also dying to find out why he thinks Intense will lead to the next collapse of crypto. Before we get started, make sure to hit the like button and subscribe to get notified when new episodes drop every week. And remember that none of what we discuss here on The Interop is investment advice. And if you enjoy this content, please consider staking with us. We're validating on Avmos, Quicksilver, Osmosis, Juno, and Nolis. My guest, Big, is coming up next, right here on The Interop. Hey, Fig, thanks for coming on the podcast. Hey, Seth, thanks for having me. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's been a while since uh, since we've been trying to get this um, get this set up, and, and so I'm, I'm glad we, we finally got around to it and uh, want to get deep into Squid and its role in the interoperability space. It feels like I've been having just only interoperability protocols um, in the last uh, couple of months. I mean, maybe maybe you'll describe Squid as something different than an interoperability protocol. I have a feeling that's the case. Uh, but before we dive into the product and how it works and um, it's uh, how it leverages Axelar, uh, maybe talk a bit about your background and how you became interested in uh, blockchain interoperability. Yeah, sure. So my background was in medicine. I studied that at university and you know, a long way away from crypto, it seems, but it taught me it was, it's a really complex system. And I think that follows through into crypto where you have this crazy, like this one place, the blockchain where everything is interacting, being, um, you know, people are building things all the time. Users are interacting at the same time that things are being shipped. And you've got this almost like living organism <clears throat> that is this global organism. Um, and yeah, medicine was really fun, but it didn't have the creative side that I wanted or was a bit strict with, um, with innovation. Uh, so I left medicine, went to New York, uh, where I got interested in finance and started programming, taught myself to code where I was a freelance dev and designer as well for five years or so. Um, but yeah, while I was in New York, I got interested in finance because there was some of my friends that were traders and they were the ones who first introduced me to crypto. Um, and so I just got an intro, intro via that. But then once I started digging into the technology, fell in love with it and thought it was, um, it was going to change, you know, change the fabric of how we did things, uh, as a, as a planet civilization. So, um, I actually had a finance job at the time and was learning about TradFi and thought, there were all these things in my job in TradFi, which were going to be automated or made so much better by, by crypto. So made the dive. That was around 2020. Um, and yeah, I've been building Squid ever since. Cool. Uh, you're not the first guy uh, that, I, that I talked to that dropped out of med school to, uh, to go into crypto. 
what's that conversation like when you tell your parents that you're dropping out of med school <laughs> to go to go full time into crypto or, or something different? <laughs> well, I mean, at first it was dropping out of med school to do nothing, right? It was just to go live in New York and, you know, I became a dev and then also then I finally got a job in finance and then got into crypto. But the dropping out of med school thing is, yeah, so hard um, because it's seen as an extremely secure life. And once you're in, like the hardest part is getting in and then you sort of got it set. I mean, very, very difficult. The 10, 15 years following that all of my friends you know, had to go through. But um, I think my parents, are they see that as the right thing. Like I'm so much more happy doing this than being in what I think is quite a corporate job, being a doctor um, in an environment that, you know, isn't as, uh, isn't as sort of experimental. You don't want your, your doctor to be you know, playing, you know, playing with you, trying new things out and making things better, like in prod. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. It's like the, the absolute, um, opposite ethos to, to the, the ethos of crypto, right? Where, I mean, you, you don't want to be testing in production, but <laughs> always innovating. It's like constant innovation. And, and it seems like, I mean, I feel like it's been that way for the last 10 years. Like I, I, I haven't seen a slowdown in innovation, right? Even, even after multiple cycles and, and this current, you know, bear market builder cycle, whatever you want to call it. There's just so much innovation happening again, right? And, and, and like the narrative is different than the last cycle. Like I think one of the big narratives and certainly like one that like Squid operates in is, is interoperability and um, creating trust minimizing and permissionless ways to pass messages and tokens between different domains of state. Like that is such a huge part of, I think, you know, the next cycle. And it's going to be interesting to see uh, which which of which of the projects, which of the players in this narrative that are crafting this narrative are mm -hmm. are really going to like pierce through to the next the next wave, right? Um, so, yeah, let's talk about Squid. So, yeah, at, at a high level, what is Squid, and who are you building this product for? Mm. So I can start with Squid. Squid was born out of the need to interact with blockchains when there's not just one blockchain. It's like very simply in the early DeFi summer days, before that, you know, Bitcoin as well, everyone was interacting with Ethereum and it was this amazing like creative place where all the apps were interoperable by default because they were on the same blockchain. Users could use one wallet. Um, and the way they got around was really through DEXs. They would swap from one token, which was compatible with an application to another token, which, is, which was compatible with an app on the same chain. But then we saw high gas prices, things went, um, you know, it became unusable basically on Ethereum. And you have more technology as well. You have this like great innovative and uh, evolutionary environment where, you know, like the Cosmos with, where you have people spinning up the new blockchains all the time. But to go and use those blockchains was to a normal person impossible, basically, because you you had to go to maybe 30 different web, no, not 30 websites, it's 30 clicks, I think, like Stargaze to go from Ethereum to Stargaze was at 30 clicks at one point. Um, and it's really scary for people every time they go to a new website, you try a new application, you bridge, 
you don't need uh, you need gas to interact with it. It's just this UX nightmare. So Squid was born out of that problem. So being able to just a normal user being able to interact with with the blockchain, but while utilizing this app chain rollup future that we were expecting, um, and that's really playing out. We've got like a ton of app chains rollups are already working really well, and we've got rollup development kits coming out where we're expecting hundreds of thousands of new chains. And what Squid does is we allow you to, if you have a token on one chain, you can go to an application's website or you can go to Squid's website and move onto that new chain, that new application in a single click. And we, in the background, use um, decentralized protocols for routing your assets through uh, bridges, through IBC, through um, DAXs to get you there. So it's really a user experience thing at the end of the day, but you need this infrastructure to like synthesize the world of all the app chains, rollups, bridges, et cetera, and compress it down into like a one-click transaction. Yeah, I, I like to think of Squid as, I mean, it, it's sort of like in the name, right? It's a Squid router. It, mm -hmm. It's the router for moving assets across different, um, well, I mean, in this case, for, for now at least, you know, moving assets across different chains, uh, utilizing an underlying layer, which is Axelar, um, but, um, but it, it effectively just routes, I mean, the, the, so if you, if you break the, the product down into its simplest form, it just routes tokens. So like you have like Osmo on Osmosis and you want to end up with, you know, USDC on Ethereum, um, Squid will figure out how to, uh, how to uh, swap those tokens at the best rate and move them across those chains so that it's seamless for the user. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's a router. We've been saying Google Maps for a long time. You go from USDC and Ethereum to Osmo, and we find you the you know Axla might be the roads, and like there's an intersection which is the Osmosis Dex, you know that kind of thing. But what we've realized it's actually more like Uber, because Uber has this you know this maps component where they can find you the right way. But with Uber, you can click take me there, and it it sort of all happens for you. Um, and we obviously don't do any of the execution. That's all happen, all happens on chain. But it's yeah, it's to be a, a cliche startup founder. Um, it's the Uber for this, Uber for cross chain. Yeah, but I mean, ultimately, it's 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 a B two B two C product, right? Because I mean, you you're building for developers, uh, the the users of Squid, those that are interacting with it, or at least like building with Squid or developers. The ultimate end, like the end user that will be utilizing Squid, perhaps without even knowing it, is a, a, a DeFi user or a blockchain user token holder that's trying to move assets across chain. Um, you know, when 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 talking with developers, like what are the biggest pain points that um, that they that they see and that like you guys are directly solving for them? And like, what does a product look like? You know, so if I'm a developer and I'm like, you know, wanting to implement Squid in my application. What does that look like? Yeah. So our most basic, the most, most basic thing you can do with Squid is swap across chain and bridge. Um, so that's often what people come to us for. And the product is we have uh, our own front end where you can go and do it. Um, we have a, an SDK, which um, is a JavaScript SDK to be used in front end. And you can build 
you know, very easily your own front end around it, which is user is here. They want to come to our app and deposit assets in. Um, and we also have widgets, which are React pre-built front end components that you can just put straight into your website. It's crazy. Um, and developers often, especially in the Cosmos, come to us because they want to onboard users into the app. Um, and, you know, you have this situation where developers in crypto wants to build something and they have to make a compromise between the technology that they build on and the user base of that technology. So, you know, hence why maybe so many people are building on Arbitrum and Optimisms because there's already, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of liquidity and lots of users there on every day. But we want to be able to make it so that a developer can build in Cosmos, but they can serve their application up to any user, whether they're on, on Arbitrum, where they don't even know they're on Arbitrum, maybe. Um, and in one click, come and use the app, whatever it may, may be, like lend on me or you know, go into DYDX, for example, like use Osmosis. Um, and they should never have to really realize that there was a problem getting there in the first place. It's, um, it's really for onboarding and using applications from anywhere. Um, that's how we usually integrate it. So I think like when thinking about interoperability solutions and certainly the ones that we've had here on the podcast, you know, we're talking about um, solutions that are uh, interacting at the chain level, right? So they're allowing uh, a user to verify the state of another chain or an application to verify the state of another chain in order to move tokens um, from one domain of state to another. You know, in the case of Axelar, like Axelar sort of sits, the, the Axelar hub sits between um, different chains and mitigates uh, those transfers. Uh, you know, it, it's safe to say that like Squid operates at a different layer of the stack, right? I mean, you guys are not building uh, the, the plumbing that allows the state to be verified. You're leveraging, at least for now, you know, Axelar um, as that interoperability, interoperability layer uh, underneath squid um, can, can you talk about like what that means for the product and you know from from the perspective of like it's like, like business development right I mean because you're you're also competing with these other interoperability products mm -hmm. and, uh, and maybe we can also get into you know after how, how you guys are leveraging Ascalar. yeah sure um, so our relationship with Axel has been amazing because we can each focus very tightly on our on our own products and Axelar is at the, at the message passing layer and security layer. And then where are the user experience and the DevX layer as well? And actually I have other teams building directly on them, but Squid has hundreds of partners already who have built with Squid, but Axelar sees them as also building on Axelar. It's, you know, it's this sort of pass through layer. Um, and the way Squid works is we, we really just take take the complexity out of interacting with interrupt protocols um, and also with DEXs because Axelar is super powerful in the way that you can do anything across chain, but every app that wanted to do onboarding or wanted to do cross chain buying purchases of NFTs or learning across chain, whatever, they all need some kind of swap component as well. And so what we've done is we've packaged up swaps and cross chain swaps with bridging and uh, message passing as well. We've made sure to like keep 
this fully generic programmability on Squid. Um, and that ends up being much more useful to teams because they don't need to build their own like Dex aggregator or router in the house. Like otherwise there'd be like hundreds of people building their own one where like we, we can be that one. And then, um, and yeah, and then it makes it very easy to integrate with, with us and Axla. Um, in terms of other bridges as well, we, we like to think of, so Axlar is a, I don't know if your listeners already know who they are, but basically they're a Cosmos chain who, uh, all their validators verify messages by, um, actually there's, they're bringing in a permissionless model. So they'll have, uh, you, any, any type of verification could be ZK, could be IBC, which they already support or the CGP model, which is where 75 validators vote on state on that state exists on one chain and you pass that across. Um, We've been, Axel supports about 60, maybe 70 chains at this point, including all the IBC ones. And we're integrating cross-chain DEXs and you know other interop protocols sort of at the edges. Um, certainly the focus is with Axler though. So like the whatever they support, we will always support. And you know, we've just integrated IBC. So we have some extra chains which aren't connected to Axler. Um, because the idea is that a user of Squid should be able to use any anywhere. Like they shouldn't have to go anywhere else to um, to get what they want or to to do something in crypto. Um, and that's again part of the complexity we remove is if you had to go to Axlar's bridge and then you had to go to Osmosis, do a swap, and then do an IBC transfer to um, to the Cosmos Hub, and then go and stake. Instead of having to go to you know five different websites for that, you just go to Squid and you do it once. Um, so, yeah, it's an example of how we're how we're interacting with them. So, so, so the message passing layer is um, is independent of the Squid router. D- does that mean that Squid could effectively use other message passes passing layers? Would there be any any interest to do that? I mean, for like specific chains maybe that axelar doesn't support or like is there is there an inherent advantage to using axelar that is directly related to the squid product yeah for sure i think any chain that is connected to axelar is going to have it's going to be much easier for us to add and axelar has this great property where it, it is a hub and it's a hub that can connect to um multiple different message passing protocols we've seen that with with the IBC and their current CGP um, we can now connect to with the really the only um, product that can connect to both all the these EVM chains and IBC chains in one click um, and they're bringing in their own permissionless model where you can bring in you know, ZK and lots of different things so if someone connects to Axlar from the squid point of view it's much easier for us to integrate because they act as a, a, a hub, in the hub and spoke model, where um, every hub, every spoke which is already connected to their hub will get connectivity to every other spoke. And then when you add one new spoke, you don't have to add, if they support 70 chains, you don't need to support, add 69 spokes. You need to just add one spoke. And then it makes the squid integration level a lot easier. So it's like a nice scaling feature. And then Axla, another huge thing in cross-chain, like the hardest thing really is gas, spending gas across chains. Um, and Axla have their own 
you know, layer on top of their message passing, which, um, you know, we've already got a very good understanding of how their gas model works and just getting reliable execution across chains is, um, is, is difficult. And by leveraging their gas network, we also can scale up faster. So it gives us an edge over, over partners because they're not, sorry, over partners, over, over some of our competitors in the EVM space who maybe aggregate, you know, five or six, 10 different bridges because we can move a lot faster. We've just got one point of integration and everything is much more predictable how it behaves. Um, yeah, there's that. And then I guess there's the, the security benefit as well compared to a lot of the EVM protocols. So you talked about the, the gas uh, management. Can you describe how that works and yeah, how, how does Axelar manage it and how are you guys leveraging that functionality of Axelar? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Axelar's model works how uh, that you um, they have the verification layer at the bottom, which verifies messages using the validator set, and that's fully that's using the Cosmos chain, all decentralized. And then the gas layer is permissionless, but not decentralized. So anyone can provide relay services. Anyone can provide gas services on top, and Axla. Um, have a gas service that they've built themselves, which that the way that works um, is you pay upfront, you pay like too much um, upfront, and then you get refunded after. So it means like the biggest issue with gas across chain is because you can't predict what the gas prices are in the other chain without first doing some kind of cross chain message or um, without yourself checking the RPCs. It's it sort of has to be off chain in a way. Um, it's either has to be off chain or someone is taking a risk because if an Ethereum, for example, like say some NFT launch has just happened, gas prices go up to like $200 a transaction and the users only paid like $6 for that transaction, then it looks like a censorship, censorship situation, but really it's just the, the gas, the relayer has no incentive to, um, to execute. So what we do is we overpay by about 50 to 80%. Um, it depends on the chain because some chains are much more vari variable than others. Uh, and then the user will get refunded after their destination chain transaction has been executed. And that way, they're never overpaying. They always just pay for what they use. And that's sort of that's what we've come to sort of lack about blockchains. You just, if it's expensive and you're willing to pay for it, it's on you. It's not on the infrastructure provider. Yeah. Right. Okay. Interesting. And and how does Squid ha handle like different, um, like atomicity guarantees between chains? So you know you might have like different finality or, um, like with an optimistic rollup, you know you may have like a uh, a um, a fraud proof window that uh, needs to expire in order for the transaction to uh, mm. to be final. So like, how how does Squid handle that and? And also, mm -hmm. yeah, does, does Squid also work with Bitcoin? I guess since not yet, but we're going to have it soon. Yet. Yeah, Bitcoin will hopefully come in December. We've got um, partnership with Chainflip, we're a substrate-based chain who are doing um, okay Bitcoin swaps. Really excited cool. about it. Um, atomicity, you know, theoretically impossible across different blockchains unless you merge the validator sets. Um, you've got Intents, which are you know coming, and they provide a nice window into atomicity maybe yeah you, you essentially offload the atomicity the requirement to make 
something atomic to someone else who's you know, maybe staking something to say, I will fulfill this for you in an atomic way. Um, or may, yeah. So anyway, without going into, into intense, because that's tempting, we have a nice... Oh, we will. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> we will. There's a, uh, there's like a halfway house that we've, we've gotten, uh, and it's a system called boost. And what it is, is that you, the user can, uh, execute their message on the source chain. Say they're trying to swap USDC on Ethereum to, um, USDC on Arbitrum. Um, and usually what you'd have to do is you have to wait for the finale for ethl one to finalize after the users submitted their ETH transaction before the bridge can, you know, securely give tokens on Arbitrum. But what we do is that we allow a, another provider uh, to provide the bridge tokens to the user on the destination chain and then execute the exact payload that the users re requested, which happens to be usually a swap or maybe a, they're buying an NFT, something like that. They can provide these tokens and execute the payload immediately. And then they take on the risk that the, you know, ethl one senses the transaction for some reason. Um, and it doesn't give you atomicity, but it brings really what's most important, uh, for the user. And that's the speed of a cross chain transaction. You can see if finalize, uh, for you after, um, we it's under 20 seconds. So anywhere from like one second to 20, um, and yeah, really amazing feature. It's been like something that people like using, um, in squid. It's not available in Cosmos yet, but we'll be, uh, we're building it. So it will be able to say, go from Ethereum to Osmosis in less than 20 seconds and hopefully to, to all the other chains as well. So just, just to, to have maybe go on a little tangent on, on intense, um, mm. you know, your, your hot take was that you, you think that it intense will eventually lead to everything going off chain um while you know we've been spending years like trying to put everything on chain and intense effectively so it brings everything off chain yeah can you can you unpack that a little bit and what's your what's your thesis here for how intense will shape this space in the next couple of years yeah i mean my hot take is that intense will you know they're a bit like a I don't know what the nice, the right metaphor is, but it, just like a, the apple in the tree of Eden, they're like very tempting, um, bringing everything off chain. Everything should be faster. Everything should be better, cheaper. Um, and you know, we'll go down that road, uh, road as well, but I think it will end up in, it could end up in this sort of being the next FTX, um, where, we, we spend the next bull market, everything coming off chain, becoming like super fast. And like the whole world starts using blockchains and it only settles to basically, you just have this like account on Ethereum or you have even, you know, Bitcoin and just becomes a ledger again. Um, and you know, maybe that's our future, but there could be then some big censorship moment where, um, you know, maybe someone decides that solvers can't act anymore and, um, users suddenly have no way of getting what they want done, done. Um, so yeah, I think intents are amazing, but the, that squid will stay, we'll, we'll keep
that by bringing everything off chain, an external actor, whether it's you know, regulation or like some, some external factor um, that has easier access to the off chain world uh, would or could uh, potentially censor transactions, um, prohibit solvers from executing their transactions on chain and users would be kind of like stuck in this limbo. They sort of like be frozen in time, uh, unable to execute their transactions, unable to settle. Um, I mean, we could, we, we could also, could, couldn't we build um, mitigation solutions for this where like a user could execute their own transaction? I guess it like, if the, if the, if the intent system becomes so complex, then it becomes more difficult to do that. Yeah, well, that's exactly like you know, Squid exists because it's so hard to do cross-chain transactions, and um, we we've built a solver essentially, um, and we can build an intent market as well and start involving other solvers. But um, if all of the other solvers, you know, they're real businesses, they're really like technical groups. They're not just you know single actors who just happen to. I mean, maybe there will be also some single actors and. That could be a nice way out of this, um, but what will pr probably end up happening is we have a bunch of like product teams servicing this like intent layer, um, and if for some reason they all just can't act anymore, then there's no way for a user to like use the validator sets of blockchains to like guarantee that they won't be censored. Censored, like it's it's that guarantee of execution. Like blockchains and intents are still secure. You won't lose your money, um, but your guarantee to get something done is is at risk, um, and it, it becomes. Yeah. Like, I sort of think of that like the gas cost of the validator set is it, it's fully generic at on, on Ethereum or on like any blockchain, and you just no matter what you're trying to do, whether it's like whether someone doesn't want you to do it or not, you can get it done at this generic price. But some things that become more like uh, you know, there are maybe they should, are going to be censored by you know the government or like different actors. Um, your price to get execution starts going up really yeah. high. Right. Like, yeah, that's that's the shift that I'm seeing. Okay. This this um this kind of touches on 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 this concept that. Uh, so this other uh, this team that we had on the podcast called Blockless. So they're building like this Wasm zkVM, um, which is really cool because I mean one of the things that they're um, that this product enables is the ability to do uh, LLMs that uh, for blockchains, right? So like a blockchain can leverage their off-chain execution environment to uh, to perform you know actions with an NL, um, operations with an LLM and computations that basically come back on, on chain they're verifiable um, but they they've come up with this idea of a network neutral application where the application logic sits uh, on this on this off-chain zkVM and they have a model for building like a network of uh, of these off-chain executions right but they're they're, it's a network of, of operators, but they're not on chain. But the, this concept of a network neutral application is effectively this network executes the application logic and then settles uh, to, to different blockchains, but the, the application sort of exists in this off-chain network, 
you know, like, I don't know, I guess something akin to like a BitTorrent, right? Like it exists in this, um, in this off-chain verifiable computation thing, um, which, which is, it's interesting, but I, it hadn't occurred to me that, you know, potentially there's this, there's this, um, there's this risk that, um, these off-chain transactions could, or these off-chain operations could be at risk of not being able to settle for like a variety of reasons. Yeah, I think with, I'm not familiar with Blockbus's architecture, but ZK is maybe a little bit better in this regard. Like it depends if you can run your own, um, your own infrastructure to get your transaction done. Uh, Or if, yeah, it, you know, ZK is a, I think, retain some of the nice like decentralization characteristics that you know, we like about blockchains. Um, it's more just this model of like, I want something done. I don't care at all. Um, just go and do it for me. But you know, I, it's that model that is at risk there. I mean, it's my hard take. So like, don't take me too seriously, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I want to come back to Axelar a little bit and, and we can talk more about um, sort of like liquidity fragmentation in, in, in the space and, and how you guys are helping solve that. But yeah, so coming back to Axelar, you know, it, it is it is a very unique model, I think, compared to a lot of the um, some, of, some of the other entropy solutions that, that have come, come up lately, right? Like Hyperlane and Union and Polymer, um, like the hub and spoke model, right? It, it, I think uh they've they've sort of like owned that space um you know on the scale of permissionless to trust minimized uh or tr- yeah trust minimized i guess on that on that scale like where would you place axlar and in, in what cases would it be better better to use another solution right like as a user um what are the considerations that one might have uh, when when using Axelar over like another interoperability solution, maybe it's like something like uh, like Union or Polymer or, or Hyperlane. Mm, yeah, yeah. I think I give them an eight. I think, um, and that's that's on a theoretical level though. I think something that's missed with like I, I got into this interop stuff because I was so interested in the consensus layer, like the security. Um, models of these different protocols, but what you see in practice is that security is so much more than like a white paper. It, it's these are just teams who are building software which needs to be really robust, well tested, well audited, has a Lindy of being used for a while, um, has sustained like a lot of transaction volume, and you know Hub and Spoke, Hub and Spoke is a nice example of that because the biggest argument against hub and spoke is that you you break the hub and then you everyone loses everything and people don't like that idea but in practice the hub actually reduces a lot of this complexity which is what causes some of these hacks um you know maybe one of the point-to-point connections isn't as well uh maintained as the other ones and then suddenly the other ones are um the the blowout is much harder to contain. Rate limiting is a lot harder when you don't have hub and spoke because you've got thousands and thousands of point to point connections and none of them have any knowledge of what the other one is doing. So we've seen that, like say when multi-chain, multi-chain is a, uh, the name of another interrupt protocol that was 
and turned out to be literally just the CEO had the keys, um, but it was meant to be some NPC solution and they, they got hacked phantom, uh, which was mostly had multi-chain assets, um, was compromised. And then all of our, all the other point to point solutions like Stargate and layer zero, for example, had to shut down because there was just no other way for them to contain that blowout. Whereas Axelar and Squid, we could stay online and the, um, the LPs of the multi-chain assets uh, on Phantom would lose their money. But through that period, there were still arbitrages and traders who were like betting on the chance the multi-chain would actually come back and the assets would repeg. And so users were able to get like 30, 40 cents for their dollar because we were still running. Um, and that was only because we had this hub and spoke model where we could be sure like the phantom blowout wasn't going to take out down the whole Axelar network. Um, so yeah, that's like the, the basic model where they have 75 validators voting on everything. I think that's, you know, it's good enough and it's really good compared to most of the interrupt protocols out there. Because at the end of the day, all of these things are just validators voting on messages. Yeah. Yeah. But, but in the end, at the end of the day, I mean, Axelar is still permissioned from the perspective of which chains get added to the network, correct? Or is that subject to governance? Oh, sure. So the, the permissionless in that sense, yeah, it's, it's permissioned, I guess. The, you rely on their dev team adding networks, but they, yeah, their V2, Axelar V2, which is their permissionless model, should be out pretty soon, actually. Um, and they have a Cosmosm layer where you can drop your own light client and then spin up, um, yeah, connection easily. So, so that's the Axelar VM. Yeah, is that is that live? Because I mean, I, I talked to Sergey like mm -hmm. in Denver last year. We had we had him on the podcast, and um, mm -hmm. I haven't found much. Like I was looking for the docs for that, and I, I couldn't find. It. I don't know if it's if it's already live or anything. Yeah, no, nothing public. Um, it's yeah, it's working though. I've seen some demos, and it's like their it's their priority at the moment. So, okay, yeah, I've got yeah. a bunch of things that are connected to it. Yeah, now, the the it. way the way I see Axlar in relation to uh, something like IPC is like you know my my analogy, and uh, let me know if this resonates with you is like Axlar is. Or IBC is like the SMTP of blockchains and people are building clients for it, right? And there will be different different implementations of it, but ultimately we're leveraging like sort of this open protocol that anybody can use and anybody can build upon. And Axelar is like a almost like a proprietary messaging product, right? Um, so, you know, I don't know, maybe like slack right as a messaging product. i mean it's not not a perfect comparison to email but it, like imagine if slack did email um mm -hmm. but so it's like this sort of proprietary application um and that's not the same as that's not open source and, and like not decentralized but users do have to rely on or at least like chains have to rely on as you mentioned like on developers to implement uh new con new connections new chains um and there is this reliance on on the validator set now, like you might, you might be comfortable using that security model, but it's not a fully trust minimized security model in the same way that like IBC is where you, you don't have that, um, that intermediary, whether like decentralized or not, like you, you don't have that intermediary between, um, uh, between 
change the values the state of each chain so i mean that that's that's the way i kind of like position axlar and the decentralized or like permissionless trust minimized scale um it's but it's like a valuable product like i mean it's beyond that like it's still like an immensely valuable product and i use it all the time um i'm just happy that we have both right that we we do have like the fully trust minimized permissionless open standards as well as like these highly efficient um very well put together products yeah totally i mean axlar's come at it from a a point of view of trying to like solve solve a problem and then you know work out the best way to solve that problem without um compromising on you know decentralization security and then they're coming to the more open model i don't think yeah i don't see the say they're like cgp as being a or their like interface for how you how you interact with axlar being a competitor necessarily to ibc um like what how squid interacts with them is um you know there's work in integrating them in integrating different models but the a lot of the hard stuff happens behind the scenes and there's lots of different ways of that happening like polymers come in and now they're trying to do ck stuff and we have the cosmos sdk which has its own like way of verifying abc and a lot of the a lot of the work and like the the actual product of the interop is is not the standard like you said exactly so yeah axlar is um is one of those it's it's built a um built the slack and yeah built messaging protocol <laughs> yeah so yeah let's let's get into a little bit more of the liquidity aspect here um you know because squid sort of brands itself as a, a a liquidity router and i think you know axler plays an important role here as um as a, a, a sort of like pool of liquidity between chains um mm. you know in, in specifically at this moment right where usdc uh, is becoming native on cosmos what will be the role of of axl usdc will it comp- will it continue to be useful um i mean not only for for users right on cosmos chains but as um as a, a way to sort of like bridge liquidity on the protocol itself yeah maybe what what what's your uh, like, what's your long-term view here for like how Axelar interacts with USDC more broadly? Mm. Yeah, well, we have it. What's what's going to be going live? It might have happened today, actually, already. Is we will be able to swap to native USDC on Osmosis. So we you got USDC on Ethereum. You bridge across to Osmosis. It becomes Axelar USDC. You swap it into Noble USDC send it to Noble, send it to YDX. And, and that's an onboarding layer, onboarding pathway, onboarding route, which is really um, efficient because Osmos has these amazing pools that are almost one-to-one. It has one-to-one swaps as well, which we'll use sometimes. Um, and so you get a, exactly the same experience as using CCTP. But when we have something like Boost um, in the Cosmos, you'll be able to do it a lot faster that way. Um, but I think Axlar aren't really like they recognize that CCTP is really it's if you want to move USDC around, that's the way to do it. Um, so we've also integrated CCTP and 
you can, if you're on Ethereum, Avalanche, Arbitrum, wherever, you'll be able to get to anywhere in the cosmos with native, like with Noble USDC um, in one click using Circle's transfer protocol. Um, in long term, in the long term, it's, yeah, it's a nice way for us to transfer value across chains. And like the whole thing with Squid has been the cross-chain swaps are actually really um, secure and safe thing to do because you're able to swap into a native asset in the same transaction. So you, you never have to bridge and then swap. Like you, you never have that point where you're holding a bridged asset and you need to get it into a native asset. Um, and, you know, that's been a, a really nice selling point across all of our app integrations is because none of our users actually really take bridge risk. And, you know, this is one of those examples potentially. Um, it's a bit different here because I think the IBC um, collateralized, like AXL USDC is, um, it's more secure, but um, yeah, we'll, we'll be uh, letting people on board into Noble USDC wherever they like. Uh, so, so you guys just integrated with, uh, yeah, with Noble and, and also DYDX. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that and when yeah. can we start to see that coming online? Yeah. Well, I mean, it might be, it might be online already. I have to go and check it, but, um, yeah, super excited for Noble's launch and they, and DYDX's launch. It's just, there is, I think there's 300 and something million dollars of USDC on their stockware. Um, product and hopefully that'll all move over to you know the cosmos. So um, yeah, really excited to be supporting them. DYDX have integrated Squid into their front end. So when you onboard into DYDX using their front end, it'll be using Squid under the hood and sometimes Osmosis, sometimes CCP, depending on where you're coming from. Um, yeah, and then. Noble's like, but what's nice what's nice is that it will all end up being native with USDC. So you, no matter where you're bridging from, yeah, the the experience for the user will will just be like USDC. It's not like Axel USDC or some other bridge USDC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll all be USDC, and yeah, that's actually another thing I didn't mention about the role of Axel USDC is because Circle's transfer protocol probably won't exist everywhere, whereas Axel will probably end up supporting some rollups, which like they're only connected to one thing or, um, and you need to go through acts like USDC to get to osmosis and then we swap and then we send off. So, you know, it's, it becomes this kind of labyrinth, but that's what Squid's trying to solve. We're trying to make it so you don't even have to think about it. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think like USDC and Cosmos is going to like just really improve the, the, the user experience, right? Like just generally across the board. But then also there's this big potential to, and, you know, I think in the next few months, we'll see if that actually comes to, to play, right? It's like this big potential for lots of liquidity to come into the, into the Cosmos ecosystem. And certainly, you know, having good interoperability solutions where, um, you know, users can in like one click in-app, just like move tokens from Ethereum over into DYDX. It takes like 20 seconds. I mean, it, that, that. That's the dream, right? Like that seamless user experience is, I think, what a lot of us have been like waiting for for a long time, and um, and and now it's here, right? It's just like it's it's here. It's like it's a mature UX, um, and it's like absolutely 
you know, fantastic to be able to use it. it just and it, and it works, right? When it, when it works, it's like ah, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's super exciting to me to be doing it. So, so what, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, um, you know, about like uh, bridge asset fungibility and liquidity uh, fragmentation, and um, you know, I, I think like bridge asset fungibility is is is, is still a problem and will continue to be a problem as long as there's different bridging solutions. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in the case, in the case of osmosis, I guess like, osmosis was pretty smart in like really choosing their bridging solutions and making it clear to users, like which one was a canonical bridge. And I think they've avoided having, you know, like all, you know, the, the sort of like nightmarish list of assets that all represent the same thing, but, are, mm-hmm. are just coming from different bridges and have different security uh, sort of considerations. Um, so, you know, it, it, do, do you think that that the proliferation of bridges will itself create a new liquidity fragmentation problem? So, like compounding on the existing liquidity fragmentation problem that exists by virtue of having different domains of state um, that that this would, would, would get compounded by by just the fact that there are just so many bridging solutions uh, and chains can't reason about the the bridge security of each of these assets. Mm. Well, I mean, I, that would be, no, it's not a bull case for Squid, but if that becomes, you know, the worse it gets, the more people need us. Um, I mean, I think how this might play out. I think it's how it's playing out already. So we had this like 2021 era where like people were actually using bridged assets and they started getting hacked. They started realizing that's a bad idea. Um, and then now what's happening is like we've got more the squid model where you use the bridge asset to get across and you just have this one very isolated liquidity pool, which has bridged assets in it. And then from there you can get into anything native and that's, like a really nice place to be and all the different bridges have that kind of model starting to be set up where they just have a way of getting in and then it goes off from there and like they're fairly safe um and now though what is the next step is we've got teams like Lido who we're working with with axlar and neutron and their staked eth provider who have this asset which is extremely like well used across different worlds and it's very easy for them with rollups because there's a canonical bridge like the the rollup is a bridge essentially um and you use that to get canonical state teeth in these different rollups but then to get to neutron they had to build a bridge with use axlar and what's happening is the application is using an aggregation of different bridges under the hood um, so they have axlar but they're able to add if Axelar goes down, they can always use their governance to like switch to another bridge if they need. And that's really the biggest issue, right? Like if you don't want your bridge to go down, then you being your whole token supplier across chains is, is lost. So they have this, um, this model where they can use an interop solution, um, that works really well. And, and then if something goes wrong, they can, the, the token holders still have the control to, um, you know, to, to social rollback because it's all social consensus at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's interesting. 
I, so I, I had um, I had Carell from Union on last week, nice. and he was talking about. I have to remember how this goes. So basically, um, Union will have IBC connections to different chains, mm-hmm. and if basically they they want to solve the interop they want to solve the fungibility problem by being able to provide a proof that the assets came from the same place. So if they're able, able to verify the state of the of the emitting chain, um, and they can provide a proof to the destination chain that uh, the assets came from the same, from basically from the same place, say Ethereum going to osmosis, uh, then those assets on osmosis can effectively be uh, considered to be fungible. Um. But then are there still USDCs locked on, say, the Axler gateway and the wormhole gateway? Like, how do you, who takes the risk if one of those, um, you know, bridging protocols goes down? Who loses half of their USDC? Like, it's, I have to talk to Carol. I'm, I'm actually due a call with him, so I'd love to ask him about it. Yeah, yeah, you should, because, I mean, we, we didn't go, like, too much into detail about it, but because I think it's sort of like a, uh, a novel idea that they've had, but they're but they're exploring like how they can use proofs to to basically like solve this fungibility problem. I'll have to go yeah. back and listen to it. Uh, that's the other. You you ask like what what's the end game? I mean, hopefully we end up with zk. Like zk is, I think, actually less secure, especially in the short term. But in the in the long term, we can have zk has these amazing bridging um, capabilities, which is like you know, verifying the state of another chain is is one of those running like clients anywhere is is like really powerful um, i think that's probably an end game yeah what are your what are your thoughts on um eth eth stake being utilized to secure cosmos chains mm-hmm. is, is it and is this something that axelar is is working on because like, like all the zk teams that i talk to are mm-hmm. uh are thinking about this or like thinking about ways to like integrate with say like Eigenlayer or whatever to enable state ETH to be used to uh, secure Cosmos chains. Mm. And I mean, I don't have formed opinions. I would say that's bullish for the Cosmos because any way you can get ETH users to get more more yield on their ETH by doing something, it's, it's a good thing. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, some, I think it, it sounds similar to Babylon, I was going to say. I mean, yeah, yeah, why would you get ETH stake? Instead of Bitcoin stake, I guess, why not? Okay. <laughs> why not get more stake? Yeah, I mean, why not both? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> cool. Um, so I, I have to ask you about this because, like, so many people asked uh, on Twitter, <laughs> or a few people asked on Twitter. I think you know what this is. It's like when Squid token, uh, <laughs> when Squid governance token. Yeah, <clears throat> we already made the airdrop cutoff. No. Um, there's no, there's no plans for a token, as in we haven't made plans, not confirming or disconfirming one. Um, so I can't give anyone good news. I'm sorry. I think, um, yeah, we want to be a decentralized uh, protocol. So um, we, we've just been focusing on the product for now and trying to make it, make something that works, get a lot of adoption. And um, yeah, we'll go from there. But but what what would a token 
what might a token be used for in, in the context of squid? Like what, what would there be to govern um, that a token would be useful for? I mean, just going through all, all the different ideas, like you, you could go with very basic governance token. Uh, it's a bit of a meme at this point, to be honest, but um, we control the governance control uh, token and gives the squid team, or maybe they decide it's not best that the, the squid team does the development for some of the products. Um, you could do that. You could have purely a token which, um, if Squid turns on fees one day, or if there's another way of revenue, then the token holders can, um, you know, direct that or participate it in some way. Um, there's, I think, you know, Squid at the end of the day is a bit of a, you know, we're a UX tool, and there's different ways that you can get your community involved in the product, like in developing the product, and and like. Um, um, sort of providing loyalty and sticking with Squid, um, helping it grow over time and being part of that growth, which, you know, doesn't have to be part of the core protocol of, of doing, you know, these cross-chain routes. It can, you know, be purely, um, you know, a product feedback loop and you can have tokenomics models around that. Um, yeah, all just totally drawing board ideas. Well, and then, maybe the, some of these will make it into reality. <laughs> yeah, let's see. And then maybe the Squid App Chain comes one day. Let's see. Yeah, when Squid App Chain was my next question. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, it's so tempting. We talk about it all the time, but it's not. It's just like it's too much. We're gonna just do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you, you. This is another point I wanted to ask you, and you sort of touched on it. It's like, what, yeah, what's the business model? Because currently, you're not charging. Uh, any fees, right? No, yeah, we currently we're charging um, uh, through business to business, uh, like B two B integrations. If they can want to charge a fee, we take a cut. It's like a revenue share model. Yeah, I like it the most because these front ends, like wallets, are the best. You know, they have the best ability. Wallets and feed on ramps and whatnot. They have the best way. Uh, to actually charge a fee to, to a user and um, adding swaps is a great way for them to like monetize as well. So we're just sharing that. We don't have to introduce any, you know, like other MEV fees or other kinds of more sneaky ways of like making money. But, you know, that's not to say we, we won't. Cool. So, yeah, what's on the roadmap and where can people? Go to find out more about Squid and maybe integrating Squid in their app or, yeah, the floor is yours. <laughs> well, I mean, go to a swap and get into the YDX using us. Um, app.squidrouter.com is where you can try it out. Um, and then if you're a dev, then we'd love to be able to help you with onboarding. We want to bring Squid to like more wider use cases. We're working with Stargaze to do cross-chain purchases from EVM into Cosmos. Anyone who's building an app in Cosmos and wants to get like the EVM users over in one click, I get really excited about those, those use cases. Um, find us on Twitter, Squid Router, and yeah, I'm ECDSA food on Twitter. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Vic. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, man. See you.